0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership podcast. And I'm delighted to have my co-host, Graham Brown. Graham and I love the banter that we have between us and the passion that we have for inspiring leadership and the many topics. We're now on brand quotient, BQ, brand reputation, image, and impact. So Graham, for you, what does it it mean for you, uh, this idea that um, said by Jeff Bezos actually, um you know what people say about you when you're not mm. in the room uh you've, yeah. written a book. you've written a book on it haven't you
1: i have yeah i wrote a book thanks for asking jonathan never <laughs> thought you were going to ask um, now but now that you twist my arm about the, the book that i wrote i did write a book called brand love how to build a brand worth talking about which actually has that quote from jeff bezos in it mm. so really you know the, the the nub of the book was that effectively brand isn't a logo it's not a mascot. It's really what people say about you. So it's the experience that people have about you and your organization. I think what we're, we're seeing now, Jonathan, is and obviously being podcasters, we're at the, the sort of cutting edge of this, is that a lot of the people, the experience that people have about traditional brands isn't through ad agencies or even advertising, but through the people. So I think hopefully today we talk a lot about that brand experience through people, whether it's the, you know, the leaders, or the conversations about those leaders, that's what makes the brand.
0: Mm, mm. And, and, and I think it is so interesting that you've written about brand love and uh, and that real connection you have with somebody. And, and as I often said to people, leaders that I coach, they're learning you, not what you're doing. So not what you're saying, they're learning how you're behaving and yeah. the way you come across. And, and brand is like trust. It, can, mm. it takes years to build a brand, and it can be destroyed overnight. Um, and I, I think people sort of forget that. They, they sort of make some decisions which lack the MQ, the moral quotient, and that mm. destroys overnight their brand, what people think about them, and whether they're prepared to trust themselves. So one of my interesting experiences when I was in an organization called uh, Penner, uh, where uh, there was about six managing directors, different businesses. And I was board and executive coaching. There was consulting. There was outplacement. There was um, uh, exec search. Uh, there was interim. And, and, and what happened was we were expected to cross sell, but I actually had to be really comfortable to um, to introduce somebody else to my client. I wanted them to be good enough in their specialism and good interpersonal skills. Because on a couple of occasions, if I introduced someone from I an executive search and they were just busy on the sale and the transaction, but they didn't care about the relationship, mm. the client would come to me and go, look, I don't know who that idiot was, but please don't bring them back. <laughs> and Jonathan, you know, really? Do, do you think I would like them? And you know, what were you thinking? I was like, yeah. you know. So I then, after that, based on experience in my early years, I was always careful to make sure that if I was going to share somebody i trusted and i i was their advisor mm-hmm. their trusted advisor. i had to bring someone good in um which is why the idea of you and i doing a a joint podcast with some awesome guests is going to be so much fun a bit like Roy yeah. and alistair i think we're we're definitely going on we're definitely bring on. um so greg let's have a look at a couple of the questions from last month from the audience yeah. brand so a ceo and a founder of a business in new york asked Jonathan Brand, what are the benefits of having unattributable 360 feedback by all levels of the organisation on the CEO and on the leadership team members? Um, Graham, any any thoughts about that?
1: Mm. Um, 360 very sort of popular mechanism internally to identify blind spots, to identify you know the truth, if you like. Um, I, I feel you know a lot of this focus on culture really sometimes misses out what we call traditionally management by walking around you know that those insights that you get from walking the factory floor mm-hmm. now in japanese they call they have a special term for this it's called genchi genbuts and uh, toyota took this to their heart in their management philosophy a genchi gembuts just means go and see
0: mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, these 360 feedbacks are kind of like that, but, you know, asking people directly for feedback. I think the missing part of that is for leaders to go out and walk around, because if you get feedback from people, it's one thing, but to actually go and see is something else. And there's a great story. I don't know if I mentioned it in a previous podcast, but it's in my book, actually, it's um, about Lego and Lego, it became one of the most valuable private uh, businesses in the world, you know, is, is one of the most recognizable brands, you know, it, grandparents don't buy knockoff Lego for their grandkids. They buy the real thing, right? Lego, they can trust it. That's the trust aspect, right? It's interesting, like when, when this incoming CEO of Lego um, went to his organization to get that 360, the first thing he did was just spend days looking around and walking around the, the shop floor, if you like, and see what people did with Lego. And he, one thing he realized was that the engineers of Lego spent too much time in the organization and not enough time outside it. Mm. And that's the first thing he did. He said, look, I don't want you to see you at your desks. I want you to see you out there. And like, I guess you can get 360, but that would be missing from that insight is that, you know, why all these people here when they should be out there talking to customers?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think there's two parts. To it. I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear, but there's two parts to a 360. One is to get the feedback from your people, but also for you as a leader to go out there and see things for yourself.
0: Mm, I, I love that. I, I really love that. So it was like back to the floor. There was a program where where senior CEOs and generals were sent back down to see and experience what it was like for the people doing those jobs in the front line. And yeah. I, I think of... Uh, a brigadier friend of mine who, when he left the military, uh, he went to a job at uh, Stowe School and uh, he was given an organisation chart where him, him and the bursa and in a t- pyramid. And he went, hang on, let me just turn this upside down. And he put it against his shoulders and he goes, yeah, I think that would fit. I think I can support these people. So he saw it as the other way around. How can yeah. you get out there and, and see who are the people who were actually interacting with the school, with mm-hmm. parents, with the groundsmen and the like? But um, 360, I'm very keen on it. And so is Lee. We, we designed uh, the Inspiring Leadership 360 mm-hmm. as a, a psychometric people can take online. But we use it with all our CEOs because the danger is that they get into this period of deluding themselves they go yeah. well, I'm, I'm fantastic i'm great i must be good because i'm being paid so much uh, and i'm really successful our business is doing well but actually they they can easily take their own kool-aid and so mm. actually going out and having the perceptions of other people what, what do people think about you it's it's their perception it's not reality but mm. for them perception is reality and uh, I was worried by a leader the other day, and uh, she said to me, I'm not interested in doing 360. I don't care what they think. Whoa, now mm. that's dangerous. Red flag,
1: right? Do not
0: care what they think. Then that's the arrogance. And then that's the, the danger of uh, I, mm. I'm, I, I'm some godlike being who makes all the decisions. And you know what? If you don't like it, you can lump it. And that's not healthy.
1: Okay. I was uh, just on that. I was. I I know you'd probably enjoy this. And being a military man, uh, at the weekend I was watching um, a documentary about the uh, the Falklands. Oh yeah. And the the military. They. I mean, they took some of the 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 teams back to the Falklands and relive it. Wow. And it was. But the interesting thing was was about everybody was talking about intel, intel, intel. You know, it's kind of like, that's your 360, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're like, you know, you're running a, a unit on the ground, your team, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is Intel. And that's really what 360 is, isn't it? Like all good military and business operations run on great Intel. Mm. And that, you know, somebody who says, I I don't care, you you wouldn't go into battle without good Intel. Can you imagine going and fighting the enemy without Intel? You You just like, you know, you, you you're walking into a, just a, a, a kamikaze mission, right?
0: It's exactly. just crazy.
1: That's that's really bad leadership.
0: Exactly that. And and uh, I uh, served with the Scots Guards just a year after they came back from the Falklands War. So I was there with them in eighty four to eighty six, and they were recovering from Mount Tumbledown. Hmm. My my own platoon, thirteen platoon of left flank of the second battalion, Scots Guards had gone up Mount Tumbledown against the 5th Marine um, Battalion, who were very yeah. well trained, uh, mountain and Arctic warfare trained. And so they are on this peak and they were ferocious to take on. And um, the information they had, as you say, the information was wrong. So they actually went into a minefield as they were advancing towards mm. the enemy position. Mm. In the dark, in a blizzard, going into yeah. a minefield. Can you imagine what that's like? And then... For for the platoon commander who was my predecessor, he saw his sergeant beside him, machine gunned and killed. Yeah. And he was only nineteen years old. And mm-hmm. so he was going up this up this peak. Uh, And he was quite scared. So he relied on the two lance sergeants who, one had been a meth drinker in Glasgow, and the other one was a pretty violent man from Mm. from Glasgow as well. But they were in their element on that mountainside. They just lined up the machine guns and the rocket launchers, and they kept taking out these these rugged peaks as they were going up there. And then the other interesting person was General John Kisley, as he is now. Uh, He was Major John Kisley, who was the company commander and he had um, uh, Guardsman uh, Galloway, who did the Cyprus Double Mountain Marathon with me. He was one of my team. Mm-hmm. And, and Galloway had been promoted and bust so many times because he was a bit of a bit of a bruiser, but and kept doing <laughs> things that you shouldn't do. A um,
1: bit of but a maverick, on that, I think. On
0: that, oh, yeah. On that mountainside, uh, John John Kisley shouted, are you with me? Left flank. That was his company, left flank, you know, in the yeah. dark, wanting to go and yeah. attack this machine gun less at the top. And this voice came, I, I'm with you, sir. And it was Galloway. And he he could only hear one voice. And he goes, are you with me, left flag? He goes, I said, fucking with you, sir, let's go. And the two of them attacked this thing, but they'd run out of bullets. Yeah, They they fired for a long time and the the Argentinians' heads were down. And so he then threw some socks, I think. He just took and shouted grenade and their heads went down. And then they went in and they had a, (laughs) a vicious knife fight, literally a knife fight. In the trench, which is where they both got their medals. John Kisley got the military cross. But but it's this point about uh, intel. They didn't know who they're against. But also, it's another thing about inspiration. John Kisley, a hugely inspiring person. But also Galloway, in his own quiet way, Mm. massively inspiring, prepared to do great things. So, yeah, interesting one. You got me off on Fulton's War. I love
1: it. It was great. Um,
0: and The yeah. other, only, only other one I'll share with you was uh, I was with the Green Howards for much of my 10 years of my 20 years, and we had an officer who served in the SES and he uh, and his troop uh, were uh, working against the Argentinians behind the lines and the Argentinian special forces found them and there was this battle going on and he stayed and he fought to the end so the guys could get away and he died. And the Argentinians mm. said that the special forces said we'd never met such a brave man as this guy. And they, they buried him with full honours because they just said mm. this man was ferocious and he allowed the rest of them to to live.
1: Uh, I yeah, think so. the key point there, like for the listeners as well, is that, you know, bravery without intel is recklessness. Like the people that are brave and make a, a, an impact and do heroic deeds or work or, you know, great work, don't just simply throw themselves in, you know, they, they're probably doesn't come across by their character but they do read these situations very well I think yeah. that's really important isn't it that you know again it's like you can't just be like gung-ho and uh, just be brave and like get at something and hope you get results you've got to have that intel that 360 because mm-hmm. otherwise you know the blind spots are what undo- undoes people right mm-hmm. the blind spots in leadership the blind spots in military so many stories of of, of you know like recklessness that was could have been bravery if it was done properly, right? And that's the challenge I think with leadership is that you, you have that sort of, um, you know, confidence bias mm. that you believe you can do this simply. We see it with like leaders, like startup founders, you know, think, oh, you just got to follow your passion. And then so they follow their passion, they start a business and then they lose everything, right? Just mm. because they were following their passion. It's not how it works. You've got to follow your passion and have good intel, Right. So I think this is kind of like where we need that balance. And I would warn anybody that thinks that they don't need it. That's a red flag.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, it's very interesting. One of the other guests, uh, General David Petraeus, we were talking about uh, on his podcast the other week, he he said one of his favorite books is Grant Takes Command, uh, about General um, uh, Ulysses S. Grant. And Mm. being someone who listens to audiobooks a lot, I've spent 25 hours listening to Grant Takes Command. It's not a light book. (laughs) <laughs> um, but he was very much a bit like you're describing. Um, he took on Robert E. Lee, who was, I think, probably mm, one mm. of you know the two of them were some of the best generals the Americans have had at that period. But Grant was very attritionalist. He would just carry yeah. on putting more and more regiments in, and and hundreds and hundreds died, and he'd just keep grinding the the the, the attrition machine. And I think you've got to be careful that sort of there's there's a, a balance between. You know, clever thinking and just recklessly pouring yeah. more more yeah. people into it or more money uh, when you should actually stop. Um, the, the John Hamilton was the name of the officer in the Greenhouse who was in the special forces and uh, died saving his his guys. Um, yeah. Captain John Hamilton. One uh, of the questions from a CMO in the UK uh, brand question. Uh, this mm. is more about uh, social media and 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 everybody, not uh, not so much what we we're talking about, but. How do you improve your personal brand, reputation, image, and impact on social media and in reality? What's your advice?
1: That's a great one. So um, now we're talking about in the context of an individual personal Mm. brand, and that's kind of new. I think this is a real challenge, Jonathan, for um, leaders of a certain generation, certain age, because we're kind of caught now that if you're, let's say you're on the wrong side of 35, Um, You you didn't kind of grow up with a TikTok generation, yet you are now beholden to the economics of the attention economy, if you like, Uh, you know, which is if you don't have people's attention, you don't lead, you don't influence. So personal brand is like, it's very easy for as a teenager now to think about personal brand and go out there and do it and do the dance on TikTok and that kind of thing. But what do you do if you're like, you know, 40, 50, and you've got 20 years of experience? You're not going to go on TikTok and do that, are you? So now we're in this sort of interesting transition phase where the leaders have the biggest challenge because they have the most to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, a teenager doing it, nothing to lose. But a leader, they go on social media, they say something, they get canceled. This is the challenge. So to answer the question, um, you know, what do you do? I think you have to understand, like, what are you about? What's your talking points? Like start there, start the process, get on stage, literally, you know, get on a podcast, guest on podcasts, start your podcasts, start that process. No, you know, if we think about it in the context, I always like when I work a lot with guests, getting them on podcasts, I work a lot with leaders, getting them booked on podcasts. And, um, you know, this is a personal brand journey for them. I say to them, look, think of this like stand up comedy. No, no comedian was born funny. That's the reality, right? You know, if if you see a funny stand up comic, that guy, I guarantee, has been on stage thousands of times and he's practiced, 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 you know, Jerry Seinfeld, all of that stuff, right? And so, if you want to talk about building a personal brand, you're not going to be funny day one, but you've got to get on stage. You've got to get on stage and face the moment of truth. Social media, you up posting stuff on LinkedIn, Twitter, and stuff like that, that's okay. But that's not how you're going to refine your story. You're going to refine your story by doing this, by committing to the moment of truth, getting on stage, committing to an audience, and facing rejection. So, you know, you can spend 20,000 hours tweeting on social media and get nothing. Or you can get on stage in front of an audience, even if the audience is 20 people or one host, and start that journey that's how you become really good that's how you refine your story because every time you commit your story to the universe and get feedback and that feedback could be from a host like you Jonathan and you know you laugh at something you don't get something or you add to something that then becomes this evolving story which becomes your brand that you take away and, and turn into effectively what people identify and experience you as mm.
0: and, and it's very interesting that you know people are very lucky to get you as their advisor to help them get onto podcast to you you host their podcast for them you make it happen for leaders who just haven't got the time or the skills and the technology to make it happen and it, i know many people i know have valued what you've done um and it's interesting you talk about committing and refining your story some people mm. Take that too far. The refining and the polishing the diamond, they actually begin to make up a story that isn't even true. Like, you know, you can see this with one or two US politicians. When you look into their CV, it isn't true what they say mm. they've done. Mm. Or you have someone like Liz Trust who who actually <laughs> denies that any of the problems she created for our children who can't now get mortgages or can't move house with nothing to do with her. It's all about everybody else and the left-wing conspiracy or the economy, darn you know, a stupid.
1: Um, you missed somebody, Jonathan. We haven't got a whole podcast without mentioning that guy.
0: No, I can't mention him. I can't mention him. I won't mention him.
1: <laughs> it will come up uh, if, you, if you're outside the uk former prime minister that jonathan likes to bring up who's got a, who, who he has beef <laughs> you mentioned uh, one of them you mentioned liz truss who was his trained trained by him
0: yeah that's right she learned, <laughs> she learned everything from him
1: um but, but sorry he, i disrupted your train of no
0: it, it just brings this point about people I've got to be very careful. And yes. I don't know whether you've ever done it, but I know if looking back, I may have just sort of tried to make myself look better than I really am. Of course. And every time I've done that, the more some, someone once said to me this very good point, which I think is so true. The more you try and sell yourself, the less people are likely to buy you.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I
0: know when I try to oversell myself to someone, I could see them back away and i went not again i'm not going to do that so actually yeah. it's the it's the story of the two dutch admirals like um, uh, do you know the story of the dutch admirals tell me uh, uh, so back in the dutch navy when uh, uh, holland and britain were at, at war and uh, ultimately i suppose the dutch who were the reserve currency became the more powerful the dutch east india company and the british east india company but these two dutch admirals began as midshipmen and lowly midshipmen and they worked their way up till they became the top two admirals in the dutch navy and what they did, let's call them Graham and Jonathan. When people would say to Jonathan, "You know, you really are, you know, very good as a podcaster." Really well, actually, that's really kind of say that. But actually, I learned everything I know from Graham Brown. He's a superb podcaster; taught me so much, and I really respect and admire him. And and, and that gave credibility clearly to. the other admiral and then when someone would say to graham graham you know well done you know run a great podcast agency and i love the way you come across naturally so well it's kind of you but actually the person i look to is jonathan he just certainly has a way with people and so it went on that they never bragged about themselves they looked after others genuine not not inauthentic they genuinely uh, gave the credit to others Mm -hmm. and i think leaders forget this in their brand or their search for I'm mm. I'm the CEO. I made all the decisions. No, if you think it's all about you, I mean, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, I stood on the shoulders of giants. Those yeah. people, yeah. men one. and women, made him bigger. And and I think that's a lovely, inspiring leadership, authentic way of doing mm. it. What, what do you think?
1: Oh yeah, can't argue with that. That's uh, I mean, you you definitely see that with um, a lot of media celebrities in the podcast space who. I mean, you've mentioned the types that do kind of take all the glory, but a, a lot will focus on almost promoting their their network. Um, and Joe Rogan's a good example of that. It's all about the host, I mean, the guests, sorry, and you know, really just bigging them up. And that's kind of really made him successful because it's just by association he's become successful as well, you know, and he he's always, even if you look at his social media, it's always promoting his guest, you know, more than just, you know, this episode, it's about, you know, I had the the wonderful and powerful Jonathan Bowman Perks on my show and, you know, it was all about him. And, you know, so absolutely. I mean, that's a good sign of a good leader, isn't it? Somebody who can kind of, um, you know, facilitate that and be a platform for it as opposed to take all the glory for it.
0: And that's, uh, whether it be in your book Brand Love or whether it be in your agency, that's your job is to lift lift the other people mm. you have um, mm. uh, in their own organisations. They might want to get their message across and how they're going to do it using podcasts. I think it's it's very mm. successful. Um, you and I were chatting before the show started about people confusing charisma yeah. with character in this age of populism. And, and um, that, that book, um, uh, Revenge of Power by Moises Nayam, in which he talks about three P's leaders in often in politics there, mm. populism, post-truth and um, polarization. And, and this idea that, um, that that we go for someone who's got great charisma and, mm. and you know, wow, of the life and perhaps a reality TV show host or you mm.
1: know, The Apprentice
0: or whatever with Trump, uh, or he's a wrestler or whatever, they go, oh, great. Uh, and, and they make him the leader, but don't, mm. does the leader have character? I mean, you look at Ukraine uh, with Zelensky. I mean, he was a comedian, but yeah. actually he has turned out to have real a core of character with him.
1: Mm. But sometimes
0: mm. you can get it badly wrong or, you know, mm. in, in certain countries, um, the big larger than life ball scenario or, or whoever it might be. Uh, you've got to be careful that people don't just go for, for charisma and something different from boring day-to-day politics yeah. they want charismatic not someone who has character integrity and honesty what, what do you think Grant?
1: yeah we we're, we live in an interesting time and obviously we are in a media landscape that favors people who have strong opinions and you mentioned bolsonaro you, you've got people like trump obviously um you know not, we're not too far away from conversations about people like Andrew Tate mm. um, as an example. And, you know, a lot of that is to do with not just the algorithms favoring that kind of voice because, you know, it is a polarized message and therefore it attracts a lot of followers around that flag. You know, they're rallying around that cause and therefore that favors the, how algorithms look at those kind of messages. Um, but it also it speaks to a world in which we live in where you know like if you speak to the middle man or the middle ground or the mass market you're nothing so the key here really jonathan is what do we take away from that like i mean it's the same with brand love it's like the the key message was that you have to be loved rather than liked you know a hundred people that love your brand is worth more than a million that simply like it because if people like you you might as well be invisible Now, the corollary of that is that whilst that promotes these strong opinions and these very polarizing messages, the other part to it is the integrity that you mentioned, which is actually strong opinions are going to be everywhere. You know, we only need to go back 90 years to see, you know, the, the rise of strong opinions across Europe you know, the, the rise of fascism in Mussolini, Hitler, and so on. So this is nothing new. Um, the difference now is that everybody kind of has a level playing field. So those string of, strong opinions could just be a an influencer. But for us, the challenge as leaders is not to play that game, but to understand it and use it to our um, benefit and have strong opinions. But as Jeff Bezos bringing them up again Has been kind of misattributed with the quote, it's strong opinions loosely held. That's really important. We have to have strong opinions, but they have to be loosely held, meaning that we're not convicted to the opinions. You know, these aren't the four legs of the table we've built our world on. Like if we take away something, that's the end of it. We have to adapt. And the difference between someone who's got strong opinions loosely held as a leader and somebody who's just got strong opinions is that the guy who has who loosely holds that opinions, even though they, they are strongly behind them, is willing to listen and do the 360, is willing to change if needed. Mm. And we've seen that. I mean, you know, Robert Kennedy, we've mentioned before in, on this podcast, is a great example of that. Strong opinions loosely held, very much pivoted his, his you know, worldviews and beliefs from what, where he started to where he ended up. Mm. And I think that's a sign of a good leader. They're willing to change and... You know, I mean, Muhammad Ali said this, you know, if you're, if you think the same and you say the same things as you did 20 years ago, you've just wasted 20 years of your life. Mm -hmm. The problem is today for leaders is that you said something 20 years ago and now you're saying this It's like, oh, you're a hypocrite. We have to be able to evolve. That's the part of life and living. We evolve and we change our minds. Mm. So why not encourage that and celebrate that amongst leaders?
0: Yeah. So well put. And I I love the historical connotations. It made me remember Churchill's quote when he was criticised in the House for changing his opinion on something. He said, the honourable gentleman may criticise me for changing my opinion, but when the facts change, I change my opinion. What do you do? And and I thought that was so lovely that you need to uh, look at the situation and make a judgement on it rather than being blind to it and this is where we then go on to the other conversation you and I were having about the age of narcissism that we're in now Ah. with Instagram reality tv shows with all these people with sort of lots of pumping up in their faces and their bodies to make themselves look Instagram ready or whatever pictures they're sending out there are airbrushed to make it look different and it's quite refreshing when you get some of the models who actually then put post pictures of themselves without airbrushing, with all the pimples and the zits and all the yeah. the, 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 the wobbly bits that are still on there. But, you know, what are you getting to see mm. uh, is this, and this goes back to uh, our health question, which we knew before, that it creates for our children's generation, your son, yeah. and my four children, this obsession with how they look starting from a very young age and, and this ideal of how they should be something that's unachievable because even the yeah. superstars don't really look like that in mm. reality but they've been airbrushed out of existence so what's mm. what's your thoughts
1: yeah it's tough isn't it if you are growing up in this world it seems to be a lot harder to you know um, accept yourself as you are and but I, I wonder if that's always been the case I know like um you know we grew up in a world of advertising and we were subjected to a a sort of a carousel of improbable bodies and improbable lives that made us you know it thrives off inadequacy right Mm. advertising thrives off that and social media is just another form of it I don't think it's new you know the whole whether you know years ago Jonathan you and I would have watched TV and you I don't know if you remember those old uh, nescafe gold adverts where they had these sort of like very like cultured and good-looking couples like the lives they lived, which was so much better than our boring lives because mm. they drunk nescafe coffee <laughs> and it's no different from like looking at influencers on social media and in instagram today and l- making us feel the same whether they got the six pack or they're flying on a private jet it's the same it's advertising it's just like you know, like the Better Homes uh, magazine, I think it was on The Simpsons that did a parody and it used to say better homes than yours. You know, it's kind of like those sense of inadequacy that advertising makes us feel that we have to be mindful of it and the only way to sort of almost kind of deal with it is not to kind of shut it out because that's impossible, but to create a space inside yourself that sort of inner truth, if that makes sense, that sort of groundedness. And we can certainly do that for our children. And that's what leaders need to do, right? Um, You know, like help people understand that actually they have a sense and a value in themselves, which isn't necessarily determined by things outside of them, what other people think. And I think it's supporting people for the, you know, that sense of self-worth as opposed to, you know, judging people by, comparison right which is ultimately what it is i mean it's this the old maxim isn't it comparison is the thief is the thief of joy mm. you know you, you and i are both very ambitious and competitive people and i'm sure we are very well aware how that can take joy out of small things because it's oh yeah i did that but it wasn't as good as this guy <laughs> like yeah. i did an iron man but he did this yeah. and so we got to we got to be aware of it i guess that's the point isn't it jonathan we just got to have this kind of meta awareness that this thing exists and step out of it
0: yeah I, I, I so agree with you and of course we've laughed that that one of the things when doing the hoffman process i was working on was being competitive and comparative and uh, and this drive for high performance all the time can be incredibly tiresome particularly for people living with you or uh with you and this idea that that the, the whole marketing industry, in many ways, mm. um, it, it, whether it be pushing Kellogg's cornflakes, where there's more nutrition in the in the cardboard box than actually <laughs> in, the, in the cereal itself, which has got oh. lots of added sugar, and, and how that whole food brands um, are selling you right. an idea of health and well being, which is actually the opposite. It's actually mm-hmm. creating um, obese people with a standard American diet, and and so. Mm. You know, sugar drinks and lots of processed foods are not good for you, as much as they'll try and tell you it is. And and I think this this idea that I've got a watch, okay? How many watches do I need? You know, I mean, mm. how often? I mean, how, how many watches can I wear? Oh, well, you could change one over every week. So you need a, a row of them. You know, have seven, and then you can have them with a rocker and change them. And 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 so creating this idea of a need, and that you are mm. not yeah. good enough, and you'll be happy when. I'll be happy when, dot, dot, dot. So yeah. I think when we think about our brand, we do, as you say, have to manage that that whole industry, which is trying to make us feel inadequate and, and missing something. Yeah. There's a piece, I'll be happy when, and that success is getting what you want. But mm. always remember, happiness is wanting what you already have. And I think a lot of people already have enough. Yeah. And, and one of the great questions, before I pass it back over to you, to think about what sells and uh, things like that, AI bots, and we're talking about GP. Mm. We just spoke about that, um, is there was a lovely question from Nancy Klein, one of the ladies she worked with, who asked two questions. How much is enough? Yeah. And how will you know when you have enough? And I think those mm. are very powerful questions because I meet these people who are making lots of money and they go, but, but you know, so-and-so earns more than me, so I'll be happy yeah, when yeah, I earn yeah. more than them. So. It becomes a, an arms race.
1: I met a chap once many years ago in my travels. He, and he, he's semi-famous, um, a, a British guy. He sold his business for 400 million. Um, well, he floated it on the stock exchange. And um, I remember chatting with him and he had a very nice life materially. And he said to me, um, you know, I've, I've only got 10 million pounds in my bank accounts and I'm, it scares the hell out of me. And he had he had a few wines at the time so he was kind of a bit liberal with his conversations but I just, it really changed it, it at the time i was driving for his lifestyle i wanted it to become like him but when he told me that i think it was a pivotal moment epiphany moment well actually you know it's endless it would never be satisfied and if he's scared and he's gone through all of that then what is there at the end of it and the point about you know going back to the personal brand thing is that the the challenge that a lot of people have is they they compare themselves to other branding gurus so they compare themselves to andrew tate or gary v or tony robbins or you know pick take your pick and think well i'm not like him why would anybody want to hear my story jonathan but that's the problem is that then they feel inadequate But actually, you know, it's that celebrating what you have. Actually, I guarantee every one of your listeners, if you got on a podcast, you have an interesting story. It's just that you probably have felt a little bit of imposter syndrome that, oh, I'm not Steve Jobs. Why would anyone want to hear about my story? But I guarantee in your story, there's something interesting. I guarantee that every single one of you listening here today has, you know, left a job and taken on some risk or left the country and moved somewhere new or did something that was against what was the received wisdom of the time against Mm. the advice of friends and family. I bet everybody's done that because that's Mm. living. Mm. And everybody who did that, who's a listener, has a story to tell because I guarantee if you've done that, then you are a leader because there is somebody right there now who might be staring out of an office window thinking i want to do that but you've Mm. done it and the fact you've done it is inspiration enough for that person for them to do it as well and that's why you should tell that story not because you know you're a billionaire or you're on the front page of forbes i think that's the important thing about the imposter syndrome is that it will stop so many people telling their stories because they're comparing themselves to what else is out there Mm. Mm.
0: i i think it's one of your great skills as a storyteller is you can listen to somebody and then help them put it in a mm. format that people can understand, they can follow, and they can learn some lessons from it. Because, mm. you know, this goes back to primeval time. How do we pass on ways of doing things? Yeah. Good advice, always in a story. And, and, and I love your ability to, to get people to tell stories. To best stories, uh, we're going yeah. to be surpassed by Chat GP and AI, as it learns how to tell stories. What do you reckon that will have an impact on people's brand and how they can use it? I mean, I saw uh, someone was advertising coaching using Chat GP. you know, learn how to make the, the most of it and coach using it. And I'm actually, I've registered with it. I'm using the AI, but I've been asking mm. questions about my forthcoming holiday and locations and about the American, <laughs> the American Civil it's War. At the end of, of search,
1: Jonathan. At the end of search, this is going to kill Google's business.
0: I think so. I think I won't yeah. use Google anymore, I'll use this because it, it gives, me, gives me the best I can get. Yeah, what, what's going to happen, do you reckon, to Google? That'd be interesting.
1: Well, yeah, it's certainly going to radically change their business. Because if, you, if you're doing this already, that's the end. It's, you know, that's, you're not talking about high, you know, super early adopters or very technical people. It's, you know, people are now saying, well, what, what if I asked ChatGPT this instead? So basically, you know, this is very interesting. What we're experiencing now is what the author Michio Kaku, who's written some great books, and he's a really interesting chap on YouTube, um, a cosmologist, I suppose. He said that AI is the new electricity. Mm. So if you think about what electricity did, if you look at economically, electricity created, um, they believe, 20 to 30 years of consistent GDP growth since its introduction, because it enabled all these derivative industries. You know, it wasn't just electricity. The fact, for example, that you could have a light bulb in the house meant not only that you could work outside of typical sort of dusk to dawn, dawn to dusk sorry but you could also work in a factory and so you know it created this completely different rhythm to life interestingly also thanks to electricity we had sliced bread because what happened was is that now workers didn't have the time to cut bread and you know eat it like in the normal fashion they had to kind of you know the wives had to kind of cut up nicely for the husbands and then they would go to the office or the factory so all these kind of knock on things happening and chachi Chat GPT is the beginning it's like the, the the first sort of light bulb happening in the world of AI that's actually practical for us now now to bring it into the context of storytelling you've got to look at chat GPT really as a tool that can do a lot of pattern recognition and it you know there's not just chat GPT there's lots of um, image what they call generative AI programs like Dali or stable diffusion which you can say, you know, I, I've tested it, for example, like, you know, a picture of a woman talking on a microphone, which we use for podcasting, right? And it can like, it will generate that based on millions and millions of patterns it sees out there and create this sort of composite. So wow. writing is no different, right? If you look, for example, so at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of into playing chess with my son. He's, he's going through a chess phase, right? I haven't played chess for years, Jonathan, but I used to play at school. So now he's kind of playing on chess.com and we're sort of challenging each other and it's it's nice to spend time together on a real wooden chessboard right a non digital thing but chess like the grandmasters of chess didn't don't have strategies they just recognized lots and lots of patterns which you, now here's the interesting thing a lot of human talent is nothing more than the ability to recognize lots and lots of patterns. For example, a doctor spends 60% of his or her time outside of paperwork looking at diagnosis scans, right? That's what they do. And AI can do that a lot better. A lawyer spends a lot of time reading case law. And, you know, what's the precedent for this, right? And then it's the same with an accountant, tax codes. If you think about it, all of these jobs are fundamentally spreadsheet pattern driven. Now you take that into the world of creativity, it's not a lot different. A lot of it is patterns and those patterns can be learned. So the interesting thing is that what ChatGPT signals is this beginning of an era where a lot of what we think is creative is actually gonna be replaced by AI. What does that do for us? Well, it doesn't necessarily replace us. What it does do is it pushes us further up the chain of value. Like beyond, for example, you know, writing an article, forget it, like ChatGPT does it so much better. Writing an email, ChatGPT does it better. Humans won't need to do this anymore. So the question is what is left? And it goes back to that apocryphal tale. Now that we've mentioned Churchill, let's bring him back in. Apparently, and it's a very apocryphal, he was asked during the war to cut funds to education and the arts because they, you know, they needed to fund the war effort and they were running out of cash. The Great British Empire was nearly bankrupt. And they said, well, cut the arts. And he supposedly retorted, then what are we fighting for? And this really helps us understand the value of AI and what it means to us is actually... The reason we're automating all of this stuff is not simply to automate our lives, but to elevate our existence, to focus on that very human connection, that very human experience, which machines cannot replace. If you look at art, if you listen to music, you don't listen to music because AI has generated it, right? You know, those paintings that they get like elephants or a parrot to do, you know, somewhere in Thailand on holiday. It's an elephant and it looks like a Jackson Pollock, right? But it isn't a Jackson Pollock because it doesn't have his story, you know? And like you listen to music and you like the music, but you connect with the artist, the, the musician, right? Because that musician has suffered and was vulnerable and had experienced the kind of things that you experienced, right? When, you know, you listen to every single song, like, I don't know, Ticket to Ride, The Beatles, right? know it's 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 one of the most famous songs ever but it's about losing it's about loss it's about bittersweet memories right ai has never experienced that ai ai has never made a mistake so the whole point long rant about chat gpt jonathan but we've got to understand where this takes us it's the same as what churchill says what are we automating for we have to understand that this is very top level human experience that we have to double down on if you're a doctor You know, your future doesn't lie in recognizing better and better scans because I tell you, you're losing that game. Your future lies in going and sitting next to a patient and saying, are you okay? Mm. Because that is what AI cannot do. And that is the future in everything that we need to train, not just leaders today, but the next generation of leaders. You've got to double down on that human experience. And that human experience is vulnerability everything that a machine cannot do. Mm.
0: I, I think it's fascinating. And I'd love you to send me anything you've got on, on ch- tutorials or just making the most of ChatGPT, because um, I, I, I am interested really in in learning it and mastering how to get the most from it. Um, but I, I, as someone who obviously my job is to connect with people, and I think back to when I was told by my teacher I was thick because I couldn't do my maths and I couldn't spell, <laughs> um you know chat gpt can do the spelling for me now and yeah. um but my mother did say to me john you'll be good with people your your skill will be in connecting with people and understanding them and and i think of my father's co-pilot who when we had that very um, moving moment when he and my uh, father's other pilot both told me that they they lived because my father died to save their lives Mm. And 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 I go mm, bloody hell, but but they said, but Jonathan, you got to you got to decide. In you know, am I a victim, poor me, or are you going to use your father's inspiration to connect with people, find their stories and their lessons, and pass them on to others to inspire mm. them? So I'm hoping that in a world of Chat GPT and AI, there'll still be a need for people like me and you to connect Absolutely. with people, draw stories make a personal emotional intelligent vulnerable authentic link with somebody what Mm. do you think
1: you're preaching to the choir jonathan i think like especially what you're doing like in in element coaching in its sort of modern format is you know what good coaches do is ask questions so chat gpt is that you know like you only get out what you ask so actually there is now you know i i think within couple of years, there will be jobs for people who will be a chat GPT question operator. It sounds ridiculous. But the interesting thing is like, if you're a coach, you know what questions to ask. That's what you're good at. You know that you don't have the knowledge, like you say, you know, the teacher that said, oh, Jonathan, you don't have the knowledge. You don't need the knowledge. You just need to ask good questions. And this is where I think the value is. For example, if you're in sales, you, you know the pain of your customers, the ability to ask questions about that is powerful. You don't need to have answers, right? You just need to ask the right questions then to bring that back into the organization. So, you know, leaders need to be asking questions and asking questions will be fundamentally a skill that will determine good and bad leaders in the future. You know, do they ask the right questions and it brings us all 360 back to the 360, right? Because actually asking the 360 is a question in itself, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is a whole topic in itself, which is so fascinating. And, and, and we were talking about the AI bots and the problem that, that people go for likes, not whether they love the person they're listening to or what it is, and how it can be manipulated. So they use bit like the Russians and the North Koreans and the Chinese yeah. are using bots to affect our political system and who knows what went on with Brexit and things like this. As they as they get lots of messages created to support a particular viewpoint, and that which makes us more polarised. Mm. And of course, you know Putin's delighted when there is and when we all fall out <laughs> with each other, and he goes, "Ha ha! Another one I've completely shagged <laughs> their their system <laughs> and brought their country down." But what what do you do when when how, you can't really compete when a whole load of bots are giving lots of likes to somebody compare someone. And so then everybody else thinks, oh, he's liked. So we'll all follow him too. And a bit like a yeah. whole little lemmings going off a cliff. They all go, yeah, let's follow this person, Andrew Tate. He must be great.
1: We're you easily know? manipulated. That's the reality. Like more than we, we, we just sort of like with advertising, you know, it works. The fact that, you know, countries or companies spend billions on it is testament to the fact it works. You know, people think, oh, I'm not influenced by adverts the same with leaders we are it's our human nature mm.
0: Mm. no i i think it's it's very interesting we talked also you and i about beware of looking for popularity in your brand rather than respect mm. i'd much rather be respected than popular uh and certainly trusted as a trusted leadership advisor to ceos that's my job and if they if the, if i lose the trust of a ceo I, my job's over it's finished mm um mm. so so trust is a really important part of people's brand we talked about victimhood and sometimes people can go for the poor me kind of post or whatever this is or, yeah or try and play on people's uh you know their violence and the heartstrings manipulating it I, I can a genuine sad sorry story but you've got to ask yourself why am i sharing this and i i once i think i shared with you i once particularly was talking about a situation where i had a 50 50 chance of cancer and i used mm. that as a as a, a uh, a post and mm-hmm. a friend of mine from my army days, Kevin really challenged me about it. And he was right. I, it, it wasn't really for me to start sharing about that kind of thing. Cause other people have got equally dramatic things. It got a lot of likes and lots of sympathy mm-hmm. and support, but actually he goes, be careful, be really careful because, mm-hmm. because you're drawing people into your pity, pity party. And that's not really what you're doing. The other side of the pity party is the, what, what, um uh, Professor Roger Steer, a friend of mine, says is humble bragging. Oh, here is me yeah. winning an award that I put myself up for, uh, or I paid to win this award. And here am I, uh, you know, getting this, and here am I getting this other award. And oh my God, I've just been promoted. And look at me, aren't I? I'm just so amazed. I humble, but just very humble. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think? I humbly
1: accept this award. Uh, I'm very humbled of, by my word Humble bragging. What do you think? That's oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? What would you need to say? Don't well yeah. Well what can you say about it? There's nothing good about it. It's just um why did, like why did, like when people say I'm very humbled by this award, why don't you just say yeah, I'm really happy? Mm-hmm. Like, Ooh, go me. Like why not? Just be honest, like people I think that's a lot more sort of authentic than saying I'm humbled. You're not humbled, yeah. you wouldn't be shouting about it.
0: Ever so humble. That was a Uriah Heap, I think, in one of those. Um, Just so as we come towards the end of our time, Graham, just thinking about um, storytelling and brand reputation. I think one of the most powerful Mm. things that you've always taught me is that really, if if you want to build your brand reputation, your image and your impact, be genuinely interested in people's name and their story and their life. Because if, if you actually get the name right of somebody, and, and it's a real skill in remembering people's names, I'm sure AI uh, chat, chat GPT will tell you what their <laughs> names are. But um, uh, if you're really interested in their name and you remember their name and you ask them to tell you their story and you listen to it, they feel really seen and heard in a way that they often have not been throughout their life.
1: What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Who, who actually sits with somebody and asks you about your story? It's, it's a wonderful way to connect and you get like I, I think you know podcasting as a business development tool is second to none I would like to see more people discover it and you know really see how it could work because if you sat with a prospect or you know potential client partner and said okay so tell me about your story for an hour wow like the connection you'd create with that person is second to none you know compared to a coffee conversation with somebody it, it's unbelievable and the fact is that you save it and it gets you know shared with the world yeah i mean you know i feel mm. it's going to be a much more powerful way especially in the world of ai as well you know it's a much more powerful way to create authentic connection mm. Mm.
0: Uh, i'm so uh, touched by people's stories and i think learning to do that over the past the last five years particularly i think i was genuinely we'd go on walking meetings with clients mm. and i said just tell me a story what's shaped the kind of leader you are today what events mm. happened and uh, and people that have influenced you tell me about it I, I want i genuinely want to know and if they know you really do care and you're not just going through the motions mm. it, it creates a bond i found with people that that lasts a lifetime um mm. because because often they haven't been heard, they haven't been seen. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, let's talk about our, our our leadership role models, their brand, mm. reputation, image, and impact. How they built them, why, how they got others to willingly follow them. Mm. Um, Graham, you you have your sort of um, group that we had. We had Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, yeah. Greta Thunberg, Honda, Rosa Parks, Bill Gates, Tim Cook, Steve Jobs. What anyone you want to pick out uh, with their brand and reputation.
1: No, that's a good starting group, I would say. I, I, it's interesting if you look at all of those people that you've mentioned; they are they have strong personal brands because they they understood that leadership is not a personality contest. Sorry, not a popularity contest. I think it's really important that they may have been divisive. Martin Luther King's a great example. You know, at the time. Of the civil rights movement he was equally hated as much as he was loved only in like you know by the turn of the millennium was he voted by gallup i think the most influential the most um, inspirational leader of the 20th century in the us Mm. so it took time right so i think the lesson then for in in those leaders is that and and for your listeners is that you know if you're seeking popularity then you won't lead properly because the, the the whole point of a leader is that they take people where they need to go as opposed to where they want to go right mm. and that really defines leadership and brands really are built around that what does that person stand for
0: mm. no i think i think that's that's beautiful well, what do okay. you have
1: in your list what so i've got
0: i've got queen Elizabeth the uh, who i who i do think had a, an incredible brand reputation image mm. impact even when it got dented uh oh, in the, without in a the doubt in the Diana days, it, it did get hit hard, and the royal family got hit hard. But she she brought it back uh, in, in a way that people will always remember her. And then, as you know, uh, I was reading uh, Spare, which I did a book review on on Harry um, and and his uh, relationship with Meghan. Uh, and and actually, a lot of people are very quick to criticise him and mm. his book and all he's doing. But actually, read his book. And, and I found I could relate a lot with him. Obviously, really? We'd both Fellow did, soldier? Well, we both lost parents at a very young age, um, mm. and it still affects us both. We both served in the in the army, as army officers. Um, and and he'd been to boarding school and, you know, had various hang and put the mask on. This is interesting with the yeah. brand. This this idea that yeah. I, I, over the years, as an army officer, I put on a certain mask and a certain uniform that I wear. Even going to the city, I, put on a suit, whatever it might be, but, but we feel we have to act and behave in a certain way. Yeah. And people might ask, will the real Jonathan Bowman Perks please stand up? They're like, who are you? <laughs> you know, do you know yourself? How many, how many masks have you got? And of course, you know, people have expectations. Well they go, well, he's so lucky he was born to privilege. Okay. But he didn't choose yeah. to be born to privilege. Yeah. It's just like you want, you get the life you're born into.
1: With yeah, the religion, you the faith—you yeah.
0: can't change that. You can't really, you can't change your family. They are who they are. You can choose your friends, and you can choose who you're with. And when he was in Las Vegas, it wasn't very wise to get some of the Vegas dancing girls to come in. Well, he he did strip uh, pool because uh, one of them took a photograph of his his derriere, and in <laughs> papers, and and yeah, taking advice on how to well, go to fancy done? dress
1: yeah you know exactly, no, exactly who hasn't done that it's just that some people live in the light, in the the light right I mean you know come on you you were a teenager I was a teenager we did some silly things right luckily oh, it wasn't definitely. in the front page of the paper <laughs> thank God thank
0: God the mirror wasn't following me around they would have <laughs> been pretty um but then of course brand you've got people like Sir Ernest Shackleton General yeah. Lord Dana Marcus Aurelius General Colin Powell Barack Obama I even add on there Rishi Sunak, I know he's not popular with a lot of people, but I quite like the fact that in some ways he's a bit quiet and a bit boring.
1: He's getting it done. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing, Jonathan. Like I think there's a big thing for leaders who just get the job done. You know, I think actually they're the best leaders and, you know, to some degree, I mean, I'm stepping in political ring here, but you know, like Biden is boring. But he gets the job done. I would much rather have Biden than Trump at the helm, right? And I'm sure mm. some of your leaders may disagree. But you know, we we sometimes we overcelebrate the the controversial leaders. But actually, there's the operators who are kind of like the COOs. You kind mm. of need to run stuff and just they're practical, very pragmatic. And Rishi Sunak's a little bit like that. He's a, he's an accountant running the running the shop, right? And I I think that's what you need. You don't need somebody who's going to kind of um, you know disrupt things. No,
0: I, I think you're so right. Well, look, we just uh, before we sort of wrap, wrap up and talk about next month, uh, inspiring books. I mean, apart from an exceptional book called Brand Love,
1: yeah, by a friend no of doubt. mine, <laughs> it, it's
0: got to be in there. Uh, so, some, <laughs> some, uh, but it was, it was. Um, I, I will, I will. Re- Is there an audio version, Graham?
1: Oh no, there isn't. I'm the afraid. Yeah, you need to do it. an audio version. No, no, I know, I know. I know, okay. I
0: know. do do, a, yeah. do an audio version, and I will, I will review it and and speak about it. On the next <laughs> so that's, that's your challenge. But um, homework. while we're waiting for that to come out, as it will do shortly, um, uh, I picked out a few, like How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton mm. M. Christensen. Uh, this oh, yeah, idea of, of thinking about your life and your brand, what you want to be known for when you die, and yeah. how, how will yeah. you know what happiness and success is? Mm. And, and, and happiness is an inner game. It's a that particularly the, my journey as graham knows that i've been on lately is an inner journey the hoffman process yeah. who i am the patterns of behavior so i think how you measure your life and, and and the happiness you have is very important why ceos fail the 11 behaviors that can derail your climb to the top and how to manage them by david Dotlich. um it's linked to our darker side so think about your brand your strengths mm. people often hire you for your strengths but when you overdo them that's what brings you down as mm. we know with uh mm. dick Fould and people like that and lehman brothers uh mm. the the darker side the daily laws 366 meditations on power seduction mastery strategy and human nature by robert green a real sort of mm. visit machiavelli the darker side of how to sort of get one over on people i found it really yeah, quite yeah. sinister to read it and, and i read gave, that book yeah I, I sort of gave up partway through it and thought oh yeah it's just but if you, it's a handbook. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you, if you want a handbook of the dark arts of, of uh, Hogwarts, that's one. Um, yeah. But one on the more, more happier side, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all mm. small mm. stuff, by Dr. Richard Carlson, which is a great yeah. bestseller, a little tips and advice which uh, i've enjoyed on That's brand a list. and how to be so what, what about you graham anything else? Oh, i can't
1: know? really add to that apart from my book <laughs> <laughs> I, but, uh, well maybe I'd, i'm just looking to the side of my table here i've got for example the starbucks experience um mm. i think it's a good one um but it's interesting like you know what I, I think a lot of the brand stuff is is a lot of it is operational you know it's about putting systems in place to make great brands and you know like brand in yourself as a leader isn't necessarily about just having inspiration, It's but it's having a system and a process to do that Like you know, getting out. And again, it goes back to like comedy. It's like Starbucks achieved that not through having, you know, this sort of uh, maxim or, you know, big plaque on their headquarters office wall. Right. They achieved it through putting processes in place. Mm-hmm. I think that's important so as an individual it's like you know getting out there and not saying that people aren't going to know you simply because you say one thing or publish one but you've got to be out there all the time doing this right so you know commit to doing you know like a podcast regularly like you do mm. and that's the process right you know that's 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 where the brand is created not in you know the big picture but in the small stuff
0: Well, it's a a very good consistency. It's really important in your in your brand that people know what you stand for. It it links very closely to the other element, the moral question: what What do you stand for? What will you fall for? What do you stand for? Okay. Well, look. uh, Thank you, everybody. So next month, uh, as a teaser for the leadership topic, next month will be LQ leadership quotient, stewardship, Mm. and leaving a legacy in your lifetime. Unlike my Sergeant Major, you said, Congratulations, sir. You are a legacy in your lunchtime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this is uh, Knock a. Knock you down. Le- leaving, <laughs> leaving a legacy in your lifetime, rather than after your lifetime. Um, so if you've got any questions, please send it to jonathanperks.com or to pickal.com. Uh, Graham on my websites. And if you, can, if you know of a really inspiring leader at a senior level that people will have known of that you want to have on the show, get in touch with us if you found them very inspiring. So um, ending with appreciation. Graham, if I could go first and let you to have the, the final thought. My appreciation of you. Um, I appreciate that you're so widely read and you meet so many interesting people and gather their stories. And you love the history connection and, and bringing that in. So that's what I've appreciated about you today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. And a bit of backstory to this podcast. We had a bit of a mix up on time. Um, I'm not gonna my lay fault. the blame. My my yeah, no, 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 there own, you go, extreme I'll ownership, like extreme I, ownership. I, I he is, he's taking a lead there. That's, that's leadership in the making. It's not, he's not just talking the talk, he walks the walk. Um, so a bit of a mix up. Um, 50, 50. We'll, we'll flip, No, hundred percent. Hundred percent. My fault. He wants to own it. No, it's my fault. Anyway, we had this. We had this. We had a mix-up. I'm up late. Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We'll arm wrestle for it. I, I turned up late, and you were just like, it was there. And normally, I would think, oh no, like if i turn up late. I'm going to have to go. Oh, sorry, 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 and all this stuff. But it was there, smiling, and it just like just that positive vibe, and just all positive today. Like a lot of wins, Jonathan. Today, like, I mean, talking about you, what you've been working on. I know you've been through like quite a tough time, uh, but you know, you were sharing a lot of your positives and just staying really, really positive. It's like you know, it's paying off. It, it's like you know, the universe is rewarding you for hanging in there and just being positive about, it. and not sort of like um, you, you've gone on this journey of inquiry, constant evolution, and it's almost like this is now the universe saying okay you know you, these are the fruits of your labor now and that's that's all coming out that's all the positivity that's very inspiring and the fact you just like really cool about it and not like oh you know i've been waiting 10 15 minutes which which i confess i would do sometimes because you know i can be like that and then but i'm taking a leaf out of your next time that happens to me i'm going to be like okay give this person the benefit of the doubt and see where it goes and i'll learn from you from that and thank you for that because it's definitely a weak point as a leader
0: well graham you've got many strengths and it's a great honor having you as a, a co-host on the inspiring leadership podcast and i look forward to our lq session in a month's time so let's well, thank you for being with us and we look forward to being with you in a month's time.